so that's the purpose of tonight. So I think we're doing it in two parts. Um, have a look at Philippians and just make a few comments um, just from chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Just make a few comments from that that I think are very relevant to us and what we're doing. And then we'll have some dinner. Um, and then I've got just a few thoughts of things that just come to mind that I've been thinking about and learning over the years and then let's just talk. <laughs> That's what it's all for. So why don't I read it to start with? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Yeah, so we'll just have a look at that. And I think the thing that stands out when you read just that bit is what a great introduction. It's so warm and affectionate uh, and full of praise. It's a wonderful way to start, very affirming. And it's interesting because he doesn't always do that. If you read um, the beginning of Galatians, he says uh, in chapter 1, I'm astonished you are so quickly deserting the one I called you. Um, you read the book of 1 Corinthians and he goes, Brothers, I couldn't address you as spiritual, but as worldly, or mere infants in Christ. Yeah, but here, very warm. Now, why is that? Well, I think it's, um, it's what we see in verse 4 and 5. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Uh, what is that? What's he talking about there? I think it's to do with um, they've got the same desire as Paul. They're joining in somehow in what Paul is doing uh, <laughs> in, in promoting the gospel. The gospel is one of those words that we use a lot little bit of a jargon word and sometimes when you use a word a lot it kind of empties it of meaning of content doesn't it you sort of say the word a lot and after all you think gosh what am I talking about so I think it's actually good to put some content back in that word um, it can be as narrow in meaning as uh, God saves sinners that's what the gospel is very simple God saves sinners Jesus died for me but of course the gospel uh, can be broader than that when you think through all the implications of that and all the ins and outs of what happened when Jesus did die. Uh, the gospel can be all about the giving of the Holy Spirit uh, in Jesus' death, the declaring of us being righteous in God's eyes, um, the awakening in us 
to the things of Jesus Christ, regeneration and the work of sanctification that is begun. Like much, much broader. And of course, a lot of Paul's letters, he's spelling out the ins and outs. But then the gospel can be bigger than that in a sense because the whole Bible testifies to the coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's interesting in the book of Acts, when Paul's talking to the Ephesian elders, he says to them, I haven't hesitated to preach to you the whole counsel of God. In the end, it's all about Jesus from the beginning of the universe to the end. Um, so the gospel is a big thing. And what Paul is doing is preaching and promoting the lordship of Christ. Uh, and that's what it means by uh, um, uh, taking the gospel. Uh, even though at the moment he's in prison. So have a look. Uh, where does it say that? Verse 13. Um, I'll pick it up from verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Um, so even though he's in prison, the gospel is still somehow... Um, going forward um, and what he says to the Philippians is you have partnered me in this work you've done this with me uh, you've been proactive partnership is a very active word uh, we've been in this together I think partnership has that real fellowship sound doesn't it um, now what did they do exactly you can have a look at verse 20 uh, uh, chapter 2 verse 25 And we'll get a hint of it. I think it is necessary, this is Paul speaking, I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. So there's something they, they did. They sent, I guess, one of their members to go and care for Paul while he was in prison. Um, in verse 30, he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. So there they are, stuck in Philippi, but they sent someone to care for Paul while he was in prison. And Paul's really grateful. And there's a sense in which them doing that was a real sharing in the work of the gospel with him. Um, there's also a hint in chapter 4, verse 10, of uh, the way they partnered Paul in the gospel. Verse 10 of chapter 4, I rejoice greatly in the Lord, that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. There's another good whole talk we could do, but not tonight. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. There's a sense in which... Uh, from the beginning of the time Paul left them, they have been supporting him with gifts, financial aid, 
and then finally in the sending of the person of Epaphroditus to care for him while he was in prison and, and I'm guessing supply him with food and clothing while in prison so that he wouldn't actually die there. So Paul, as he thinks on this, says, I, I am full of joy. I thank God for you because of this partnership that I've had with you in the gospel. You've joined in with me. You've done this with me. You've been active in all of this uh, with me. And it's, it's interesting because although the physical um, support they have given him, he is very grateful for, it's actually not that so much that really touches him. So you see in verse 11 of chapter 4, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. It wouldn't have mattered whether they'd given him the gifts or not. In one sense, he says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. The thing that really gets him excited and full of joy is what he says in verse 6 of chapter 1. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. See, what their partnership in the gospel shows him that he is really excited about is that they have been awakened to the purpose of Christ, the purposes of Christ in bringing his name to others who don't know him. They've been awakened to that um, gospel purpose and they want to join Paul in making it happen, which means that that is a sure evidence that they are genuinely converted. And that's what really excites him. Um, it's been probably 10 years since they first heard the gospel from Paul. Um, you'll remember in the book of Acts, Lydia was the first convert in Philippi and he actually met in her home. Paul met there and uh, probably in a church was started in a, in a home. And, and that was also the period where he got put in jail uh, for taking a demon out of a slave girl and um, so wrongly accused, put in jail and there was an earthquake and the jailer said, oh no, you know, and they were still there. Um, Paul and Silas hadn't gone. And the whole of the jailer's family became Christian, converted and joined this church. And now, so that's the early church. Um, and and from, from those small beginnings, uh, over the 10 years, they have been supporting Paul. They're still going on. And this, this, there's this evidence of a heart that is responsive to Christ and what Jesus Christ is on about. There's a heart that wants to see the gospel go forward um, and that is why they're supporting Paul. And that is what makes him thrilled. It is a real thrill for him to see that um, in them. Now, I want to draw a few things out of that for us uh, before I go any further. <coughs> I've got six things I want to say about this so far. The first is I hear a lot um, uh, this question phrased in different ways. Um, if I become a Christian, like believe in God and I know I'm saved, isn't that enough? Like why would I need to go and do all those really hard things? I don't know, go to Africa and be a missionary or um, give up all my worldly possessions. Why would I need to do that if I believed in Jesus and I know I'm saved? Why can't I just live a normal life like everybody else? Would it matter? Would it matter to God what I actually did? What I think this tells us is partnership in the gospel, Paul points to as being the evidence that God has begun a work 
in the Philippians. Uh, their desire to see Jesus proclaimed, their desire to be part of making that happen, shows Paul that they are actually converted. And it seems to be that if we are converted, if we have come to Christ, if he's taken hold of us, then there will be, for sure, certain desires that get fanned into flame or could be fanned into flame. I'm sure they ebb and flow a bit. Desires to save the lost, to bring the gospel to those that don't know, to have the same heart for God as God, to see the lost saved, but also desires to see um, people mature in Christ and grow in godliness, like to teach people the word fully. Now, that will get expressed differently by different people because of their different situations, the different opportunities they have, the different other responsibilities they have. That will get expressed differently, but the same desire should be there of a person that's come to Christ. And if they're absent, like totally absent, and, and nothing done can fan them into flame, then I think this is saying, and I think Paul would say, there'd be no confidence of conversion at that point. So it's almost the wrong question to ask. It shows some, a heart that's not uh, warm to Christ. So that's the first point that I think. I also hear this expressed. I hear people very concerned, and I'm one of them, of the sacrifices I might have to make if I do follow Jesus. Like he does say, take up your cross and follow me. And I think, wow, how big a cross is that going to be? Like how much um, will he ask of me? It's helpful to be reassured from, I think, this passage. What we see with the Philippians is when your heart desire is to see the gospel go out, there's a sense in which you don't worry about the cost. There's a sense in which that doesn't become your focus anymore. You're focusing so much on the work that you want to see happen. And because you so much want to see that happen, there's just this natural, I'll do what I can to make it happen. And, and you're not looking at the cost. You're just doing what you can to make it happen. And I think that's what we're seeing with them. They weren't out there with Paul. They were in Philippi, but they were giving all the money they could to make sure he could... When he was in Thessalonica, which is actually the next place he went to, he was very concerned not to um, get support from those very new Christians. And the reason he could do that was the Philippians were supporting him. So he was able to uh, preach to the Thessalonican church, have them converted and grow without needing to take any money from them. So the, the Philippians sacrificed a lot um, because of their concerns. So I think we, we can find ourselves able to do things that we would not have thought we could do when we have that heart for Christ um, to a certain extent. Okay, now thirdly, I'm speaking to a bunch of women in the room who are all wives of planters on the whole and I think it's good to reflect that you are partners in the gospel uh, with your husband um, primarily you have a desire to serve God alongside of him I trust uh, you have a desire I trust to bring the gospel to people's lives now that is then <laughs> you can take assurance evidence of God's good work in you begun all those years ago, whenever you first became Christian, there is evidence that he began that good work in you and confidence, you can have a confidence that he will keep on working in you to bring it to completion. Because if that wasn't the case, you wouldn't have a heart that was warm to the gospel and you wouldn't want to be working with your husband in making that happen. And secondly, 
Um, the fact that you do desire to serve God in that way is a delight to God. Um, verse 8, Paul says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's a sense in which how Paul feels about the Philippians because of their evidence and partnership in the gospel is actually an indicator of how Jesus Christ feels about them. That's, he's a bit of a barometer of how God thinks uh, because he is so in tune with God's mind and has so much the same values. And so that he is thrilled with them, I think, says that God is thrilled with us and, and has a warmth and a joy when he sees our responsiveness to Jesus Christ and the purposes that he has in Jesus Christ. And third, thirdly, um, just good for us to reflect that being partners in the gospel with our husbands uh, brings a great richness to our marriage relationship um, and our marriage relationship brings a depth to the way we serve in the gospel. I just had a little example of this um, coming over. My husband gave me, sent a text saying, um, I'll be praying for you, hope it goes really well, thinking of you. And uh, it was just this sense of, um, I love the fact that we've got the same mindset and even though he's doing something different, there's the same desire that the gospel go forward and, and likewise back. So it brings a real richness to your marriage. Um, the fourth thing, so I've got six things, this is the fourth thing. We don't have to be in the front line to still be partners in the gospel. The Philippians weren't with Paul. They weren't the ones being beaten and put in jail and out there defending and confirming the gospel and taking, and taking it to unknown lands and so on. Uh, Paul was, and yet Paul says, you are partners with me, as if they're equal, as if they're doing the same thing. And I think that's very helpful because partnership is actually about doing whatever we can to enable the gospel to go forward, whether it's uh, praying, giving financial gifts, teaching, evangelism, preaching, or supporting <coughs> others who are doing that work. It is still being partnership partners in the gospel. And I think a lot of you are at a time of your life where you have young, young families, and a lot of your time is caring for them and keeping the home running. Uh, now that is a great support for our husbands because it enables them to do a lot of work. But it can feel like he's doing the work and I'm not. This, I think, corrects that. We are doing the work with them because what we're doing enables them to do the work. We're very much involved. And I think, though, it's possible to do that behind-the-scenes work in a way that's not involved. I think there is a different mindset. I think you can do that behind-the-scenes work in a, in a man, manner or an attitude that says, you go and do your job, I'm here doing my job. And there's a very separate thinking. Or you can do it differently. You can do it in the sense that I'll do this to enable you to do that because I want that work to be done so much, I'll make sure you can do it. Can you see the difference? And I think it's the second that shows a heart that's warm to Christ and it's the second that we're after. It's the second that shows that deep conversion. Um, Yeah, okay there. So fifthly, <laughs> um, we actually have to work hard at keeping ourselves warm to the things of Jesus. Um, this side of heaven, 
it's almost non-stop the need uh, while we've got our sinful mindset, sinful body, and we're in a sinful world, there is this non-stop, persistent, consistent pull that will dull us to what really matters. And uh, this pull that makes other things seem so much more important, so much more real, so much more fun, so much more fulfilling uh, than gospel work. We actually have to um, keep, we, we, we have to not give up helping ourselves see <coughs> differently to that and value this the way Jesus Christ values it. Um, I was over, I'm in my 40s now. I remember in my 20s having to work at this really hard uh, just with lots of young kids. So I've got four children. Uh, and and I, I sort of learnt lots of things and I, I dealt with some sinfulness and I got more, a little bit more godly in some areas and I really thought I'd got there. And I was shocked to find in my 30s and 40s a whole new set of temptations arose that I hadn't had in my 20s and I had to <laughs> do all sorts of more work. And, and then I realised it doesn't stop. All that happens is the, the pull's come in a slightly different shape, slightly different flavour, um, take you by surprise. Before you know it, you're sort of dulled again and you have to work at it again. But, yeah, every decade there's a new set. You have to keep working at this. Um, this um, keeping sharp what matters, what I value, what I'm going to live my life um, doing. Um, so I'll give you a, a small example of this. I see this uh, in churches that women in their 20s when they've got young children will often join a Bible study group and be quite committed to going. And it can be a good time for them because their children get minded, they get to do Bible study and they grow. Uh, then what happens is their last child goes to school and they suddenly think, I don't have to do this anymore. Um, Suddenly the attraction of having my kids minded is not there. My kids are at school and the attraction of using all my free time is much stronger. What do I use my free time for? Well, go to work because that gives me structure, money, purpose and so on. And what we find is that women will choose to go to work whether or not they need to just because of that. And so Bible study groups keep being run by young women in their 20s with three or four children hanging off them, <laughs> while the ones that may have the time and ability to run them aren't there. So it's just one of those things. Now, I'm actively, I've actively been working in our church for the last 15 years um, with my peers when we were in our 20s, uh, talking about, let's not do that. If we don't need to, let's actually stick around and be the ones who can teach the younger women when we get to that stage. And it's been good because not everyone has been able to, but quite a number have. And at the moment, we have about 20 women's groups that meet over three days, and most of them are led by women my age whose kids are at school, happily giving us lots of free time, as much as you can at the moment. Yeah. So just one of those, that's just a small example. Um, to, to, to be uh, women in our 60s and 70s, and 80s who will make an impact on younger women, we actually have to be proactive at becoming the right sort of woman. We actually have to keep working at growing in righteousness, growing in knowledge of God. Um, I think <laughs> what can happen is we reach our peak 
as God's women 30 years before we actually die. And uh, that's, that's not to be. Keep working at it. Keep growing. Um, how do we do that? Sitting in the Word, obviously. But more than that, it's actually being warm to God's Word. It's actually sitting in God's Word with that, not I've heard all this before or I'm thinking of my shopping list, but actually sitting there with humility and a soft heart that is ready to change, being warm being humble about who I am, um, being willing to see the worst of me, willing to keep letting myself realise that all through life, seeing more and more of my sin and so resting on God more, depending on him more and, and enjoying his mercy and grace more as I get to see more of the ugliness of me. Like Just being willing to do that and that warmth. I think that's what actually helps us grow to be those rich... Um, women who are very influential and have a lot of impact in, in helping <coughs> younger women grow. And, that, and, and uh, the desire to keep helping others, keeping that alive. Um, sixth thing, partnership in the Gospels. Interesting, two core needs of human beings in, in planning our life, uh, what makes a good life. There are two core needs that we're wired for that are embedded in us. What we need to make our lives worth living, firstly, a key thing is purpose. Well, there you have it. In the gospel, we have the greatest purpose of all. We have the purpose that will last for eternity. We have the purpose of serving the Lord of the universe, of, of gathering his kingdom, being involved in a work that Corinthians tells us uh, is never futile, is never in vain. Everything else gets burned up. This lasts forever. So in the gospel, working in the gospel, we're actually part of something that has the greatest purpose and is the most meaningful way to live. But the second thing that we're wired for is relationship. And what we're seeing here is that Christianity is all about being in relationship, being partners, doing it with others. Uh, and there's a depth and a unity and a bond between Christians who work together to promote the gospel that's way beyond family. Um, now people can be irritating, working with people can be very painful, but it is also a source of great joy. Um, and one of the things in our church that we're really um, seeing has been so helpful is when various ministries um, meet together as teams and talk about what they're trying to do together, their vision together how well they've been going, what they'd like to do better, and look at God's word together and be motivated by God's word together. There is such a great sense of camaraderie and fun and, and joint unity. It's, it's relationship, but it's relationship with a real purpose. Now, it's one of the best gifts that God has given us uh, in the gospel, and we see it here uh, as Paul uh, lives it out with, with the Philippian church. <coughs> Um, lastly, a lot of our work is helping others get captured by what we've been captured with. And that's it, isn't it? That's the non-stop work of helping others embrace Jesus as their Lord and, and see that uh, what he's on about needs to be what they're on about and reshape their lives in, in, to sort of be shaped by his very radical claims um, now, that was Paul's challenge, and his thrill is that his early years of ministry with the Philippians has paid off. 
They, they have caught it and they're there. Um, and that's going to be your role and it's, it's quite tiring, isn't it? And it's non-stop and, and there are people that respond well and there are others that you work really hard with and it's very slow going. Um, so at times the work can feel um, frustrating and disappointing. But in many ways, we're the best ones for it. I don't mean we as opposed to our husbands. I mean we with our husbands are the best ones for it because we understand the difficulties people have, the temptations they have. We understand the roadblocks they're likely to have in their thinking. We understand a lot of what people in our churches that we work with uh, will be going through because we go through it as well. And so just to keep warm with... Um, Aware, now that's a better word, aware with how we've grown uh, puts us in a good position to help others grow. Aware what it is that captured us helps us know what would help capture them. Aware with what has tempted us and keeps tempting us <coughs> helps us know what others are going through. <clears throat> um, so a key thing in our role is to be very humble with people and be sharing of ourselves with people, how we are a work in progress. Um, and, and that, I think, helps people move forward um, and be captured in the same way that we have been. Now, how do we actually get to live this life, this gospel life that's worth living? Um, and, and we come to this prayer that Paul prays for the Philippians. Um, they have a love for God, in verse 9, and they have a love for each other. But Paul prays that that love would get some, some depth, some grit in it. We pray that your love may abound in knowledge, depth of insight, so that you can discern what is best. Um, we have a love for God, we have a love for people, but it's a love that needs to know what it's doing uh, there's lots of decisions to make. How much we do, how much we don't do, um, how do we best support our husband, how do we work with others in our church, how do we grow others, how do we encourage them. Um, we've got one life. Um, we've lived a fair part of it already. <laughs> and we've got to be thinking, what is the best way to live this life that I've got, the best way to live it that will best promote the kingdom. There's lots of good things we could be doing. Um, it's harder though to work out what's the best thing we could be doing. Um, there's, there are some things that are more strategic and more key to the kingdom growing. And we need wisdom to actually see things the way God sees things so that we can be making those decisions. And we need discernment because we need to understand ourselves and our situation and our abilities and potentials to also know what we actually can do. Um, but God's promise to us, we work things out as we think is best, uh, given <coughs> how much we know so far. Step out boldly, keep praying this prayer and God will keep shaping us because he's begun that good work in us and he does promise I will bring it to completion. I will keep making you these people who are pure and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness. And this really is, it is, it is the life worth living. This is a really good way to live our lives. Now, it doesn't always feel like it and we don't always enjoy it 
but we know it is. It is. Yeah, so there are a few things that I wanted to share with you. And, um, um, yeah, do you want to ask any questions on, on just that, some of the stuff I've said so far? Exactly what you were thinking today already. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. good, yeah. Yeah, you have to be Yeah.
Do you all agree? Do you all find that? Is that the same kind of churches? Yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> mm, she must have been special. The key thing is, um, yeah, and getting others to be captured by it with you, so yeah. that it's not you trying to do everything. That's quite a, quite a skill, really, isn't it? With anything, like Bible study group leaders. So it's not just you, but you grow a fair number of them. People mentoring you grow a fair number of them.
yeah, I can't remember the wording, but yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> Get others captured with you, yeah, yeah, and caught up with the same vision so that they do it with you. Is that helpful to share? So I have got some thoughts as to how, well, how I've done it. Um, I think it's easier to work with with people that you're connected with already, that are your peers, and um, deal with the everyone else later, if at all. Like sometimes it can be such hard work if the vision or the thinking's not even there. I'm pointing up like that's the older generation above me. That can be such hard work, it's too much effort. Easier maybe to go to my peers who might listen and get the vision, to start with anyway, and see if it goes. So yeah, I have. I've, and I wonder if this, um, this kind of thing could work, where we, we got together, there was about four or five of us, and we read One to One by Sophie DeWitt, which is a book on, on mentoring, but there's also others, isn't there? There's spiritual mothering, there's... Um, yeah, I think it is Susan Hunt. Yeah, you can still buy that. Sophie DeWitt's isn't. But another great one I enjoyed, which is not just for women, but I think it's a really good one, is The Lost Art of Disciple Making <coughs> by Elms. That was excellent. Um, and then the other thing, my husband gave me a thing that he wrote called, he just called it Making an Impact. And it was good because it, all of that was quite big and he just made something really simple. There was just three things you do when you meet with someone um, and it just sort of made it achievable. So we, we sort of put all those things together. Oh. So meet with someone and, and it, it can be a new Christian, it can be someone who's just equal, it can be a young person, it, can, it doesn't matter. So you just do the same thing. Open up the Bible together. Decide you're going to read for about 20 minutes. So you read a short passage and say what stands out to you. Um, what do you think is the main point that's being made? What do you think is the challenge for me? And then pray. Um, then if you want to chat a bit, if something's related to that, you might easily chat or there might be another issue to chat. And then 45 minutes later, you pray and close it. An hour maybe achievable, it's not too long and we suggested that people do it for a term and then try and you know take it as it comes, not have this never ending thing or decide for a year and then change. So the four of us took on a person and, and did that and then others heard about it and wanted to do it. So we found other peers that we felt were mature and 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 said, would you like to do this? And we gathered them together and sort of did training. In other words, it was just that. I said, these are the things to do. Open your Bible. This is how to do it. Um, and uh, it's taken off quite well. So there's about 20 couples doing it. It's not a huge number. It's a very underground movement. We don't stand up in the front of church and advertise it. We just <coughs> um, find out who would like to and we we match them up with someone we think they would get on with. And then if we've now gone long enough that some have done it for a year or two years, we've done it uh, that long now, and they've actually met up with different people. So we've kind of doubled. We're starting to double ourselves. Yeah, so we're, we're still at new stage, but it's working. It's quite, no, it's, it's all over the place. So, so my age group, 
mostly the older ones and we have kids at school, but we're meeting with um, either young mums or 20-year-old girls. Some are not married yet, some are early married. So they're the ones we've kind of focused on, 18-year-olds and up. And, um, and so some <laughs> meet in the day, some at night because, you know, they're at uni or they're young mums themselves. They meet in the day, yeah, or they're working because they're single or something. Um, and the other ministry thing that we've started is we've called it the Chicks Chill Out Brunch. It's a once a month thing for young women and us older women. Uh, there's a team of about 10. Now, I, I again wrote to them with the idea and brought them together and we meet on a regular basis. I think meeting to get the vision of what you're trying to do and training them up to do it and practicing doing it is a real key thing and then helping them do it, make it happen. That's a real key thing. Um, so we met together and talked about having this brunch once a month on a Saturday morning that girls from 18 years old to 30 come to. Um, they're really 18 to 25. Um, and so we do a topic like submission. The last one was beauty. Is it okay to be beautiful or is that a problem with the Bible? We, we have Proverbs 31. We've picked women type topics and we've got two years worth and we recycle them. And it's an opportunity, the older women run the groups. I give them <laughs> discussion questions and the older women um, just ask questions and the younger girls just talk and they love it. They can ask all their questions and they chew over these issues that they wouldn't actually hear probably in a sermon and they probably wouldn't get in their Bible study groups. So it's their opportunity to really chew through I'm a Christian woman. God's made me as a woman with certain roles and responsibilities. What does that look like in everyday life? And that's what they're chewing through. And um, so that's the other way we've tried to meet that harvest too. Here. So getting it all started, it's about getting it started is about um, thinking through who, who, if I explain this to them, would get it and probably have the time and energy and ability to operate it with me calling, even if it's two or three people, just calling them together, sitting with them in the lounge room and just saying, let's do this. Um, and meeting fairly regularly, once a term, to keep it on the boil, to keep, th that's where you come to this partnership in the gospel. It needs to be a partnership thing. You know, we need to do it together. Um, that's what sustains you long term in ministry. That's what keeps you going. That's what makes you sharper with what you're doing. You know, how well did it work? What do we have to change? <laughs> That's where you get ideas of how to get it better. And then, and then try getting it to operate. And then just letting it start small, and then it just slowly grows. Just giving it time. In 15 years, it could be quite big. But Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Church planting is very costly, isn't it? It's very costly. You're spread thin. Yeah, yeah. 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 We need to eat. <laughs> do I do something with this, actually, Nikki? <laughs> Say what we really think.